Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This word in your ear, Mark, is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. Our old pals. And, absolutely. And you're now in a position to remind people what VPN stands for. I think you'll find it's virtual private network. Say and that, I'm fairly confident about that. Say that one more time. Virtual private network. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> and uh, you probably also know that virtual private network, by now you know, it's a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in, either at home, Mark, or abroad. Either at home or an internet cafe or wherever you choose to wander, uh, VPN protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal that identity. And But there's a fun part as well as the responsible part. Come on. Uh, the fun part is it enables you to sidestep the um, region restrictions uh, governing um, streaming channels and so forth. Uh, overseas, because you can access the internet via servers in more than 50, count them, 50 different countries. And you can get stuff from all over the world. And uh, this week, I've been back on my, my old favourite, Netflix Sweden, which, as we've discussed in in previous podcasts, is a fantastic source of old black and white films straight from the UK, strangely enough. I'll tell you what I was watching. Perfect. It's just what we want. I tell you what I was watching yesterday. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you ever seen Went the Day Well? No, no, I oh haven't. Oh, my An God. An expression God. that Danny Baker uses all the time. Yeah, Went, is it good? Went the Day Well is, uh, I think Graham Greene wrote the script, actually. It's a wartime film, uh, and basically it's set in an idyllic English village. Into the English village come a, a troop of soldiers, uh to seal off the village to, to do a military exercise. But it slowly dawns upon the villagers that these are not British soldiers. Okay. Can you imagine that? Yeah, yeah. And so I won't I won't spoil it any further other than saying later on we're we're treated to the enthralling sight of uh, of the young Thora herd with a rifle. 
Oh my God! In German, I can't imagine. You know, I can, there is no higher recommendation That's for a fantastic. film, as far as I can see. But Should be a formidable opponent. Absolutely. But the key thing about went the day well tooled is, up thorough is the is not the action. It's the village. It's the notion of the idyllic English village, which lies so deep in our souls that that idea. You know what I mean. The vicar. Being wrecked by Germans. The vicar on his bicycle. Oh, yeah. The pub. Croquet, all that, probably. All, all, that, all, that, all that kind of thing. Leather on willow. It's just absolutely a barbecue. perfect. So anyway, Went the Day Wells, my, my current recommendation of Brilliant. Uh, hot films from the 1940s. Um, so you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com, your ear, or just use the code your ear to get a discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free, plus a bonus gift. It's a tiny working model of a young Thora Heard with a shotgun. <laughs> uh, I want one. It's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details, as ever, on the show notes below. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. OK, Davis, it's the, the slight return of Stack Waddy. Um, I've got one for you, which I've just knocked together. It's, no, it, it's non-music, it's literary, and it's associated with... <laughs> you'll love this, Marvel Comics, OK? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Right, right, on my, right on my right straw, some, some Marvel characters have got... Um, Deliberately, you know, prosaic and, and bookish names. Uh, and, you know, it's much the same with the uh, the unvarnished, regular-sounding pseudonyms used by famous writers. So, which are which? Marvel superhero or literary nom de plume? Okay, Clinton. Sorry, Clint Barton, writer or interstellar fighter? Clint Barton, <laughs> writer. No, Clint Barton is the skilled marksman, archer and former circus performer and minor supervillain turned member of the Avengers. Frank Castle. Writer. Again, no, he wages a one-man war against, a crime, <laughs> against crime as the Punisher. Richard Backman. Superhero. <laughs> Stephen King. That's a Stephen King pseudonym. <laughs> Tony Stark. Writer Tony Stark is uh, is the man who, who doubles as Iron Man. So you've got naught so far, okay? Clive Hamilton, superhero. It's C.S. Lewis's pseudonym, <laughs> which I didn't know. Agatha Harkness, writer. It, it, this is just genius. I've had naught naught out of six. Why should you get him right? The centuries-old witch Agatha Harkness uses her potent spells to protect others and train powerful beings in the art of magic. Mary Westmacott. That is a writer. It is. And I know who it is. I've forgotten. Go on. It's Agatha Christie. There you go. Yeah, right. yeah. You'll, you'll know this one. Robert Galbraith. A writer. J.K. Rowling. That's right. right. Yes, yes. Paul French. Writer. Paul French, yes, was Isaac Asimov. And the last one, Abigail Brand. Is that a writer as well? No, no, no. Born and raised on the planet Axis. 
with an extraterrestrial father and a woman from Earth. Oh, God. And she in inherited the X gene. There you go. So you trounce me. Uh, I'm going to. Well, uh, that was very unfair because it was. It's not really your. It's, it was neither of our kind of main uh, areas, is it? But there we go. Go on. What do you got for me? Okay, six songs that were supposed to be James Bond themes. Okay. But one of them is made up. Okay. Yeah. So these are six songs that were intended to be James Bond themes, but didn't make the cut. Okay. One of, one of them was made up. Okay. Yeah. Here we go, Mark Ellen. You're in the hot seat. Johnny Cash, Thunderball. Johnny Cash, Thunderball. Okay, yeah. Radiohead, Spectre. Radiohead, Spectre. Yep. Pulp. Tomorrow Never Dies. That's Pulp. Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> Alice Cooper, The Man with the Golden Gun. Alice Cooper, The Man with the Golden Gun. Prince, Octopussy. That's Prince and Octopussy. And finally, Pet Shop Boys and the Living Daylights. Pet Shop Boys and the Living Daylights. So those are you are saying those are all real songs that were those actually Those are all recorded? six songs that were put up to be James Bond themes and were rejected, but one of them is made up. One of, Only one of those six, Mark, is invented. God, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Johnny Cash, Thunderbolt. I, I believe that. Johnny Cash is the sort of person they would they would uh, ask on board. Radiohead also they would ask because. You see, can I just point out? Can I can I just interpose here? Yeah. In my researches for this, I made an important discovery. People don't get asked to do James Bond themes. People asked to do James Bond. Oh, right, themes. so you pick, they that's pitch how. Them. So they basically, pitch they pitch them. So they, re they want you write to, a song called Thunderball and, and say you, re this is you the record one. it. You know you. you because it makes such a difference to people's careers they, that they want to do it. And also reasons of kind of artistic ego and all kinds of things. So you would be correct in saying that Johnny Cash actually recorded a song called Thunderball. Thunderball. Right. But, but it, it was, was turned down. It was rejected. And I'm saying Radiohead did the same. Possibly because they're opportunists and who wouldn't? Big Cash involved. <clears throat> Alice Cooper, yeah. Uh, do you know, Prince, Prince Octopussy, again, that seems so obvious that he would record a song called Octopussy. It's probably him. He's probably the ringer. I'm going to say it's the Pet Shop Boys, because I just can't imagine the Pet Shop Boys somehow thinking that an association with James Bond was a good thing. But well, I'm going to be wrong. You're, you are wrong, because the Pet Shop Boys did it, Alice Cooper did it, Polk did it, Radiohead did it, Johnny Cash did it, but Prince and Octopussy is the one that I'm... Oh, about. Right. So oh, well, I wasn't far off. I, I kind of smelt yeah, a rat no, I'm sorry. You That's very good. <laughs> I like it. So, yeah, and I've heard Johnny Cash's Thunderball only this morning, and it's extraordinary. Because it, uh, it, in the end, I think Shirley Bassey did, did Thunderball, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she did. I think, um, yeah. With, with the, the kind of standard John Barry, you know, uh, Wagnerian swagger. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Johnny Cash's Thunderball still sounds like Folsom Prison Blues, really. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of doesn't really work. So, anyway, that's the, the Stackwaddy game. And if you've got any uh, suggestions, 
uh, for further rounds of the stock stack what he gave. Please send them in. To the usual Always address. Kin. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Can I just say at this stage, because I may as well say it at this stage, if you're if you're listening to this, can you make sure that you kind of like it and favourite it and subscribe and all that usual stuff? Because now's a good time to do it, you know, and it makes an awful lot of difference to us. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, subscribe to the channel, all that kind of stuff, you know, really helps spread the love, as I think they say. It does. Talking of spreading the love, we've both been watching um, a wonderful three-part documentary which is on Netflix at the moment, which is called Trainwreck. Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. It is fantastic. <laughs> oh, my Lord, we've been gripped. We've been, we've, been, we've been texting each other furiously. It's absolutely extraordinary. Three-parter. 45 minutes. What is it, about two and a half hours long? Something like that, isn't it? This one's probably wonderful. not even that long. It's very it's very easy watching. Um, and uh, Just a bit of background. So the original Woodstock, 1969, was the first thing about the original Woodstock. It didn't take place at Woodstock because they had to move it at the last minute to Bethel, you know. And so it was uh, It was chaos. Far too many people turned up and, you know, they had to make it free. But anyway, it was rescued by... Warner Brothers, who made a very successful film out of it, uh, you know. So the the the, the, and the album of, sales, uh, yeah. absolutely, and the legend of Woodstock carried on through the decades to the extent that I think in 1994, didn't they, Mark? They tried to do it again. They had a they? 25th anniversary one, yeah, promoted by Michael Lang, the same promoter, and and it was a bit of a disaster. I think the it was terrible weather and the fences broke down, and and they just didn't make any money out of it. So, so five when years they later, embarked on this one, five years later. The key thing, it's Michael Lang, again, former kind of hippie, now turned fairly hard-nosed businessman, and a guy called John Sher. And they decide, first of all, that the main prior priority has got to be profit, don't they? Now, that's the thing. It's well, got I, to work. And to be fair, not losing your shirt is... No, fair enough, too. It's quite honourable. No, it's really completely honourable. But to, to, a, to a fairly... Uh, to a fairly advanced extent that they 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 eventually find don't they an air force base a military complex griffiths air force base in rome new york yeah. uh, not the most idyllic place because because the old woodstock and yaska's farm was but, wonderful rolling hills and this but, is tarmac but, but the first thing the first thing that qualifies uh, you know the air force base to to be used as a site for woodstock 99 is like all good air force bases it's got a fence round it yeah so you know it's, it's an area that you enter you can only enter via the gates. You can only get out it's the same way. It's already got a perimeter fence. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. So that makes a big difference. But they immediately decided, didn't they, that they would sell off. First, they would sell off all the food. I mean, obviously, this is a great way of making money. It's one of the key ways of making money for festival promoters is you the franchises. You pay a certain amount to have your stall. But they just basically give over all that food, drink, um, security, etc., to to uh, to uh, other parties having no control over it. Actually, no, that's not true. They did have control of the security, didn't they? Because they yeah. they employ yeah. their own security. Yeah. So anybody going to this thing, two hundred and fifty thousand people turn up. First thing that happens is they have their food and drink confiscated. Do you yeah. remember? Yeah. 
which is amazing because you're going three days in baking heat yep. on tarmac and you've now got to buy all your food and drink. And then a rather alarm to discover the bottle of water by the end is costing you $12, a small yeah. bottle of water. Yeah. So that's not very good. Um, the, uh, th- it's a lovely bit where they talk about the culture of the time. <clears throat> American Pie and Fight Club and the big movies. And there's that idea of kind of frat mentality. The other thing that has a lot of uh, effect on it is the choice of bands. Because the bands are basically Corn, <laughs> Rage Against the Machine, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, bands that are... Limp you know, Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. I mean, this is quite aggressive, quite full on. Kid, quite kid white, Rock. Kid Rock. rock. This is quite white male music. It's not, it's not Peace and Love. It's not Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, you know. No. And so you've got a huge crowd of people, particularly festival goers, they're people who just want to see those particular bands. And the emphasis, they're, they're, they're constantly being told when they arrive that this is going to be the party of a lifetime, isn't it? Yeah. Get out there, make a racket, get pissed, go mental. And um, also it's being filmed by MTV. And they do. Got, and it's being filmed by MTV, which is interesting because they, they MTV and rock at that stage, there's a certain amount of tension. They associate MTV with the Backstreet Boys, don't they? So MTV cameras moving among them and MTV announcers coming on stage actually antagonises the, the, the rock fans even more. But anyway, the and there's an ominous star when James Brown comes on. Do you remember? Oh, God, James yes. Brown comes on and refuses to go on stage until he's got all his money. All and they the just money. call his bluff and he's about 10 minutes go by but when, when he just refuses to go on and eventually is just forced on. And uh, that seems to be a bad start. That that's the kind of relationship they've got with these groups, you know. But anyway, Limp Biscuit go on and just incite a riot, virtually, don't they? I oh. mean, it's just just trying to get this tanked up crowd to be as you know energetic and possibly even aggressive as possible. Um, various of them encourage the throwing of rubbish, don't they? Yeah. They say, get your plastic bottles, throw them now. Um, and you therefore have this giant crowd hyped up to the point of complete madness. And you expect that things will go wrong. And oh, they yeah. do. Oh, yeah. Well, it gets worse over the weekend, doesn't it? Because I'm no festival goer. But you've always you're an experienced yeah, festival yeah, yeah. goer, and you you've always been quite wise in this respect. You always say, "I leave on Sunday. I leave on no Sunday." No matter but... how well it's going, leave <laughs> because, on Sunday. Because well, what appears to happen with this is Friday night they have corn, and that's kind of the big party, and everybody's got loads of energy, and and nobody's got a terrible hangover yet, you know. Saturday, people start to get a bit jaded. But Saturday, they wake Sun- up. Yeah. Sunday, they get they're really pissed off. But also on Saturday, they've woken up, discover that they're just in this massive rubbish heap, aren't they? Oh, uh, surrounded by rubbish, the, overflowing of their, toilets of their own creation. Of their own creation, the the, the 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 sewage has infected the drinking oh. water and the bathing water. It is absolutely terrible. And as somebody says, once you realise that the people in charge of your environment don't care then you don't care either. And they get to the point then where they're... And they're big, you know, people are... There's a bit where there's somebody driving through the crowd in a little tiny um, a kind of golf truck with, with rubbish bags saying, can you possibly help by you know, putting some rubbish uh, in these bags? Yeah. And they're going, I paid $150 for this. Mm. Why should I? 
And so the whole relationship between the audience and everybody is getting worse and worse and worse. And they think they have been monumentally ripped off, which to some extent they, they really have, haven't they? It's just an appalling thing. It's so they start to take it out. They're on... a fairly unlovable audience, to be fair. You know. Oh, God, like... when Fatboy Slim comes on playing to... They claim 60,000 people in a disused aircraft hangar, which in itself just just brings you out terrible palpitations thinking what a security risk that is and he has to be just bust out of there as fast as possible for his own safety doesn't he because somebody hijacks a, a lorry and drives it into, into the, the crowd. crowd very slowly they're not knocking yeah. anybody over. it's the miracle nobody died in this event well that's apparently the case which is amazing when you watch the film you think i can't believe there weren't multiple casualties yeah yeah because, uh, you know, towards it, it gets even worse on the Sunday with red hot chili peppers because somebody has the mad, barking mad idea that you're going to turn this, uh, this frat boy fest into a kind of celebration of peace and love and anti-gun violence by handing out 100,000 candles. That's right, which the they're all crowd. going to light. The, but so this, the irony here is they've spent the last few days taking any flammable objects off any members of the audience and now give them candles. And what, what, do, they, what do you think they do with those candles, listeners? What do you think? <laughs> they well, very start, obediently, they light them. They start fires, with the result that the Red Hot Chili Peppers have to, have to depart the stage while things calm down. And are then and told it, to go back on stage. Bring, bring, come back on, and Red Hot Chili Peppers show their immense maturity in 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 you know, being equal to this this moment of maximum public hazard by playing the Jimi Hendrix song "Fire." Yeah, you know, at, they, at which point really gigantic fires break out. And then they announce that it's the end of the festival. At this stage, a rumour has been going around that there's going to be some special yeah. guest at the end. It's going to be Michael Jackson or it's going to be Prince or whoever. So everyone has this expectation there's going to be some huge finale. And that doesn't happen. The place is on fire. So at that point, a security tower is oh, pulled God. down. You remember that? With, with people on it. People on it. With people actually on it. Incredibly, nobody is, 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 is maimed or, or loses their life. It's absolutely solid. They then set fire to a row of lorries. They set fire to a load of gas canisters. They break into the, um, into the kind of vendor village, don't they? Where yeah. there are people who've been selling merchandise all weekend with up to $70,000 in cash fleeing for their lives. There's kind of robbery. There's arson. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable. And, I, I mean, it, you have to see it, don't you? I mean, I, I just... It, there's, I just there's two... It struck me there's two ways to make a festival film. Is One is is the you make the original festival film like Monterey or Woodstock or whatever, where the message of the film is, this was a triumph. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other way is you make a film that says, this was a disaster. And this clearly was a disaster. Except Even though the promoters, of course, are, are, are constantly saying, it was as they have to, you know, well, oh, just a few bad to be, apples. To be fair, to be fair, they interview Michael Lang and John Shaw. You know, this is years later. And Michael Lang, it was the last, he died not long after. Died, I think, in January this year, yeah. Uh, not long after the film was completed. And and you have to give these guys points for the fact that they were prepared to sit there and be interviewed about it. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, which 
Which you wouldn't have thought they had to. <laughs> it no. would have been quite easy to hide. Um, and so they're interviewed about it. And more tellingly, a, a number of festival goers are interviewed about it. And these are people who, there's a young woman who, I think she's about 16 when she went to it. Oh, yes. And, she, so she's she now kind of 40. Yeah. She's got a daughter of her own or something. And they got, you know, two two young guys from a small town. And they all and then they all went there in their own uh, in their own particular way, and they all said the same thing, which was it was the best weekend of my best life. Best weekend of my life, I know. And then you <laughs> cut to these, you cut to this image of the state troopers arriving. You know, the place on fire, just it's an inferno. This this absolute catastrophe. And they said we never had more fun. So would you go again? Oh yes. <laughs> so <laughs> so it does end on a reasonably high note. But except now the other the other undercurrent of this is is its real kind of it's it's the high point of some bro culture. So the you know what is extraordinary is that all these guys are uh, you know going around with their shirts off and backwards baseball caps, chest bumping each other. And I tell you what the thing is every time you see a camera because don't forget this is before and you can't say this too often while watching this film. This is before social media. Yeah. This is before that. Because no, new... it makes you think that if, the, if this happened now, then people would complain on social media. They wouldn't it, take it, it out on the it event. It wouldn't happen in the same yeah. way. Yeah. Because people's, people's behaviour has been changed by social media. Yeah. Because, you know, there's all these people, male and female, taking their shirts off. And as soon as there's a camera anywhere near, they, they do, you know, kind of devil horns and they go, Woodstock 99, baby! Yeah. Yeah. As, if, you know, as if repeating the name of the, uh, of, the, of the event had some kind of special significance to it. And, you know, and female performers, Cheryl Crow gets a pretty rough ride, but not as rough as Jewel gets. Oh, unbelievable. Jewel departs the stage absolutely shaken, doesn't yeah, really she, really? Yeah, really tears, isn't she? Yeah. Just, just absolutely horrible. horrible bunch of frat boys. Yeah, just, uh, you know, terrible behaviour. And the thing that struck me while watching it, I know we whinge about... Uh, you know, what a kind of prim, censorious age we live in right now, you know, and we do. But when you look at that film, you think, the reason we do that is that's a reaction to that time. You know what I mean? It's like it went as far as it could possibly go in the late 90s. Yeah, it really did. You know, it all, and everybody was thinking, oh, we can't make too much noise, we can't be too extreme, you know. Uh, let's try absolutely everything, and uh, and in case it's, of it's like, a kind of absolute low point, isn't it? It's a low <laughs> point in terms of human behaviour, yeah, and attitude, yeah. and and the exploitation of fans and and everything. That's the end. Good news is that since then, surely things have massively improved. But well, as you're, you're right, had there been social media, people would have been tweeting about it, and something would have been done immediately because they'd be tweeting from the inside saying. This is how awful this is. Well, you and see, I, I don't of... think you wouldn't even get that far nowadays, you know, because people, people organising anything, they're uh, they're aware of the fact that criticism can turn just like that. Yeah, yeah, can't, yeah. Can't they? You know, whereas it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that in those days. So you know, think of your favourite Hieronymus Bosch painting. Uh, <laughs> Imagine Limp Biscuit performing in the middle of it. That is train rock. Train wreck, Woodstock 99. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit 
from this next bit. I'm looking at my favourite new Twitter feed, Mark. Have you seen Celebrity Jets? I have. Jets? I'm, I love it. Celebrity Jets. Somebody's done us all the, the invaluable social service <laughs> of telling us uh, we, you know, where the private jets of various celebrities are and where they've just taken off from them and where they're left. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is a student guy from uh, University of Central Florida, is it called Jack Sweeney? And I think... Elon Musk was so fed up that he kept posting live whenever a, an Elon Musk jet took off with all the deals that he offered him the, 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 the miserly sum of $5,000 to stop doing it. And he said, That's that, mate, is not enough. <laughs> and he's not going to stop anyway. It's, so he just posts, doesn't he? He posts. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Six hours ago, Tom Cruise's Challenger 300 landed near Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida. Uh, it's approximate flight time from wherever it came, it came from. I can't remember. Uh, it was two hours, 59 minutes. He occasionally does calculations of how much fuel's involved in these things. <laughs> oh, no, the fuel is really interesting. Yeah, Tom, to Tom Cruise, I think, the day before yesterday, that same jet took off and landed in Kerry in Ireland, I think it was, and uh, <coughs> it was uh, 64 gallons of fuel for a 44-mile flight. Jay-Z's jet did a 12-mile flight the other day. 139 gallons, <coughs> 937, one ton of CO2 emissions. It's amazing, isn't it? I tell you, it's really, I tell you what's really funny. I was, uh, I was talking to my, uh, my, my son's wife uh, only last night. She'd been to the theatre this week. She'd been to see Jerusalem, you know, with Mark, Mark Ryan. Oh, wonderful. And she, <coughs> said, she said uh, Tom Cruise was in the, in the row in front, you know. And I said, really? Who was he with? She said, oh, I think he's with Jez Butterworth who wrote Jerusalem and uh, probably a security man. And I was saying, well, Tom Cruise does kind of get around. You know, he doesn't he doesn't shy away from the public. And he doesn't really, to be fair. Tom Cruise turns up at places. But in between, 
He's he's taking the most exclusive possible means of, of getting from A to B, isn't he? It's the it, private jet. It's takes incredible. Them absolutely I know. Everywhere. And there's such short flights. Spielberg used one all the time. I mean, then again, it's just logging their jet. They may not be on it. It may be that they're... You know, there's one amazing statistic. See if I can find it about Taylor Swift. Oh, here. Taylor oh, Swift. God. From January the 1st. She is the, a, a, a oh, major yeah. user yeah, of, of the private jet. Between uh, January the 1st and July the 30th, they said that there was 78 uh, records of her flights. But another false source says there were 170 flights on her jet. I mean, 170. It's astonishing, isn't it? And a lot of those are just literally 15 miles. I think, I think it's a really interesting new source of, you know, people love talking about inequality and so forth, you know, and the fabulous sums that big sports stars or music stars or film stars yeah. earn. And, all, and people say, well, that's just a, that's a reflection of their commercial value and so forth. Private jet use is a different thing, isn't it? Totally. Because it's like saying, it's not enough, clearly it's not enough for me to go business class. Actually, it's not even enough for me to go first class because I don't want to be with anybody else no, at no. all. And I don't want to start... have to deal with any of the. And once you start, I know, I've never because that's it. the old thing. Now is I'm going to in, 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 Mark Ellen, you've done it, haven't you? You we, you once flew private jet. I, go on. Oh, I have. No, I was going to say once you start. I mean, it's exactly the same as I once flew business class. And once you do that, you never want to turn right. Oh, again. it's ruined you forever. <laughs> and I have been on a private jet. Well, I went on the U2's private jet. Well, that's a pretty substantial plane. That's the whole band and the, and the crew and all that. But there's something very, very exciting about. Oh, it. I bet. You know, they finished their show it was at the Velodrome in Boston, and they would do a thing called doing a runner, and they had to break their record to see how fast they could get from the venue to the plane and to get that plane in the air and they yeah, got yeah. to the venue they got to the venue got to the plane i think in seven minutes and i think we were in the air in about something like 14 or 15 minutes because of course you're getting on a, oh. you don't have to show any passes or any tickets you just pile oh, on no, somebody no, hands no, you a no. flute of the finest champagne and you're in the air and of course once you do that the idea of of queuing up for even a first class flight because it's a commercial flight and commercial flights are obviously a liability now anyway aren't they yeah. they're massively delayed and they're problematic you know and airports are a misery so you can see, but it's still, I mean, it's still pretty reprehensible, isn't it, really? Well, it is reprehensible if it's the same people who are, uh, you know, they've always got a track on the new album talking about saving the planet. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, you know, they're really keen to be seen, you know, being on, being on the right side of green issues, but not so keen to be seen in the same airport as anybody else. Hence this uh, this really good um, this really good Twitter feed celeb jet celeb jet. It's which, it's gripping, which we what? recommend to you. Uh, and probably you probably if you looked long enough, I'm sure you'd see flights uh, taken by Beyonce, who's uh, who's been in the news. In the last week, have you heard the Beyonce a new album, modestly titled Renaissance? No, I haven't, but um, I'm aware of the Contrave, <laughs> um, of which there's quite a lot. I think something about the uh, non-credit of samples as well. But I mean, she's, it's all sorts of. But the main thing is, she's had to re-record a track, hasn't she? Well, she's had to redo something. Because she's re-recorded can... the track oh. "Heated" for using a, an expression that um, she claims has not quite the same meaning 
You know, can we say what it is? I think well, we can. Surely we can, for we goodness sake. We can. Sake. Spaz is the word yes. she uses. Spaz yeah. or spazzing, which she says means something completely different in, in America. But, you know, obviously to, to anybody, uh, anybody British listening to that, you think that's absolutely appalling. How could you possibly? How could it have got that far? How could that it have got have that far? That's that word the point. Without that's anybody the... saying, hang on a second, are you sure this won't cause problems? Because it's now been withdrawn and it's being re-recorded, isn't it? So it, it, it's um, the the other thing is that this uh, is record people have been pointing out that um, that some of the tracks have got as many as twenty five different writers. Yeah, and, and uh, you know if uh, people draw attention to this, they say no, you you can't draw attention to this because that's sort of racist almost. You know that you're 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 trying to apply the rules of kind of. I don't know, white pop music yeah. to a new way of doing things. And I'll tell you what, I was thinking about this yesterday. If you accept that you can have 25 hands involved in the authoring of a piece of music, surely you can no longer have one hand involved in the authoring of a piece of music. Because one or the other of those ways of doing it can't be true. Do you see what I mean? If if you're saying that over here you've got 25 people to do it, well, how is it possible one person did it over here? It, it's it's probable, probable, in my view, that neither of them, neither of those extremes are the truth, that... Most pieces of music, recorded music, you know, we have the convention of of songwriter which goes back to Tin Pan Alley and Broadway and so forth, which probably doesn't reflect the way the most records are made nowadays and that they're, you know, that they're, they're secret sources supplied not just by the person who wrote the song, not just by the person who sang it, but the people who played on it, people who had ideas towards it, people who arranged bits of it. And... You know, it's possible, possibly true that all those people's, you know, contributions should be recognised. But I can't believe it's one, one extreme, it's one person alone, and at the other extreme, it's 25 people equally. It you know, one of so those you think it's very true. unlikely that when only one person is credited, that that, that one person didn't get any kind of assistance? Because I find that hard to imagine. Well, surely they must have done. They must have done. I mean, there are there are... There's a moment in Get Back when uh, Ringo Starr comes in with Octopus's Garden and all he's got is four chords. Yes. And George Harrison just picks up, and he hasn't really got any words or anything like that, George Harrison picks up a guitar and says, well, why don't you do it like this? And just plays him a, 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 a completed sequence of those chords with extra mix thrown in. And, and actually just in, literally in 30 seconds rewrites the song. He doesn't get a credit on that. You know? No. It's a credit entirely to Ringo Starr. So it gives you an idea of just how much, you know, how much uh, uh, collaboration goes on all the time. And, uh, you know, you'd just imagine that, that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Very few people can, on their own, just create something, I would have thought. You, you would have thought there's very few cases of that. But that's just the, the tradition, isn't it? That's the way yeah, it yeah. works. That's the way, you know, it's been decided that kind of credit is given and, and you know, people make fortunes out of things because, yeah, they, yeah. because they got the name on them. But, you know, if you end up with 25 on a track... Well, there's only one way that's going, which is the next time is 35. It's going to be 35. And the next time after that is 45. It's as simple as that. The know? Word Podcast. Clearly, 
There is no plan. So here's a funny thing. I happen to see uh, that there is a, a new film called Waiting the Van Duren Story. And uh, and it's made by a couple of Australians, I think. And it's it's one of these films kind of in the tradition of... Do you remember that film, Sh- Searching for Sugar Oh, it's Man? exactly like that. Sixto Rodriguez. Yeah. Where, where, the, where it's the idea that it's a, a musician has disappeared. Disappeared. He, he, they tracked him down, didn't they, to a huge success in South, uh, South Africa. And he'd apparently completely disappeared in the American mainland. It's amazing. So this is the same sort of thing, isn't it? Well, they, Give so us the they, Van Duren story. They, they, he, he was... This he had is a, a group with Chris Bell and Jody Stevens, a big star. Is that right? He was, I'll tell you the, the story because I, th- I thought, Van Duren, Van Duren, that rings a bell. And I was thinking, didn't I have a record by Van Duren? And so I went looking in my stack of records. And, you know, I have a theory, Mark, that I've often bored you with. And this, it was borne out once again that there are certain records that you're never supposed to be parted from and that the the, the great presiding deity of vinyl yep. makes sure that you never throw away or get rid of or sell anything that you might ultimately regret. And then one day you will just be magically reconnected with them for a so, reason. So I went and and I looked and and... Sure enough, among the V's, there is... Between Van, Van Morrison and Van Halen, there was... Van there, there, it's a record called Are You Serious? Now, let me tell you the story of this record, Mark. And uh, this record was made in 1977. In, in, uh, in, you know, he's a Memphis-based musician. In 1978, so 1978, Mark, when Jim Callahan was the Prime Minister of the UK... Okay, I went to Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, I I went to see Alex Chilton. And while in a record shop in Memphis, Tennessee, with a guy who was a kind of mate of Alex Chilton's and and knew the kind of old big star university, said, "Oh, you ought to you ought to listen to this. There's a record called by a guy called Van Duren." And um, he was kind of on the fringes of Big Star, in you know, later versions of Big Star, you know. Um, and I bought this record, and I, I brought it home to the UK, and I probably played it twice, and, you know, never thought of any more about it. Put it away in my records, you know. In the years, I used to do a radio program on GLR. I never played that record, never got it out at all. So that record has sat over there, Mark. Jim Callahan. Virtually. <laughs> hold on. No, hold on. I want to give you an idea of how long it stayed there, yeah, right? Yeah. Jim Callahan, Margaret Thatcher, John Major, Tony, Tony Blair, Blair, Gordon, Gordon Brown. Brown, David Cameron, Theresa, Theresa May, May, Boris Johnson, almost over. Yeah. So effectively, how I didn't even count. That's that a six, lot of that seven prime that's ministers. That's a lot of prime Van ministers. Van Duren okay. unloved, Sat unnoticed, absolutely yeah, unnoticed, and uh, until this film came out, and I well, I just got it out, played it, and it's quite, it's quite nice. It's all right, you know what I mean. It's, it's, it, you know, if you if you're really deep into big star and things like, you'd no doubt like it. But here's the interesting thing, and I think it's. It illustrates something about what's happening in pop music. Is that 
there's, there's less and less focus, it seems to me, on the new and more and more focus on trying to find something uncelebrated in the old. Because it, it automatically has some kind of soulful originality, some kind of legend, is some to, kind of folklore uh, attached to it, doesn't it? But is it possible, is it conceivable that after years of pop music being all about the hot new thing, that people stop putting out hot new things and that now uh, in, in future, pop music will be, you know, it's like, it's like kind of 19th century literature. It's all there. You've just yeah. got to find the time. You've got to go and find it. You've just got to come got find to prioritize it. It's something. in a great big pile somewhere, yeah. you know. So even I, I've got the damn record. And I haven't played it. You know what I mean? It's been sitting over there. Nothing has made me go out and get it. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's increasingly how, how music is going to be. So if you were a member of Trees or whatever. Actually, Trees is quite a good example. Trees, trees is really are good now example. being celebrated, Absolutely. aren't they? People are suddenly discovering Trees and going, these are amazing records. So any any of those old uh, psychedelic uh, bands, you know, the late sixties, you put out a record that sold nine copies. Must just be thinking, maybe one day, I'll be picked up on it. And it's it's not unlikely we'll reform. It's not unlikely if you look on the streaming services, you know, you know, Spotify or Apple Music or any of these things, people are constantly creating, you know, groovy little lists that have you know kind of some stuff you've heard of some stuff you've hardly half heard of some stuff you haven't heard of at all and uh you know it seems to me that 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 world of streaming seems to be dominated by that kind of sort of mojo-ish type kind of new traditionalist thing it's absolutely astonishing, you know, and and the likes of Van During are bene- beneficiaries of it, you know, for for a brief moment in time. But as apparently these guys making this film pretty much had to pitch it like searching for Sugar Man, which is this guy has disappeared. Because the truth was he hadn't disappeared at all. Because during the time of all those prime ministers and no doubt similar numbers of American presidents, this guy had stayed in Memphis, Tennessee and had been playing pretty much every week, you know, ever since. But that was the same with Sixto Rodriguez, wasn't it, really? They said he totally and utterly disappeared. He's working at a factory in Memphis. Actually, no, he'd had some success in Australia. He'd done some Australian tours, but they very carefully edited that out of the film. We'll never mention it because it would ruin the story. Fair enough. You can't, and here's another point, presumably you can no longer disappear in pop music. You can't no, I can't really do Because Google is going to find yeah. you, isn't it? <laughs> Someone will be paying you the odd royalties to some address somewhere and they'll know where you are. Well, no, it's not even the royalties. It's social media will find them. Yeah. You know, if, if you put out a, a, a call on Twitter this morning saying, you know, whatever happened to the, I don't know, the bass player of Matthew Southern Comfort, within half an hour well, somebody some... is going to go, he's my postman. He'll be knocking on your door. <laughs> he lives yeah, down my road. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> He's, did I tell you about B.J. Cole? Did I tell you that? No, go on. So B.J. Cole, the great, you know, the great British pedal steel player, you know, there's only one B.J. Cole who's played on millions of records over the years. And I live in North London. And I, I, people have said to me for years, oh, he doesn't live far from you. And uh, 
I went to a to a little uh, sort of beer shop not long ago down here. We don't have pubs. You have, you know, kind of you know, you know those kind of things like beer, do, yeah. beer houses, whatever. And as uh, as I'm looking at the notice board, they go they go playing here next Friday. BJ, fantastic! <laughs> playing in a beer shop. That's brilliant. Just the, that's fourteen. Fa- that's fantastic. I love no, it. Nobody dis- disappears at all. So there you go. Uh, that's Van Duren. Um, we so, should mention the great Judith Durham. We you should. We oh should. my lord! Jeez, I got. Do you know I've got such fond memories of the Seekers? I mean, the Seekers first had their hits when I must have been about nine. I bet your mum and I bet your mum and dad liked the Seekers. Of course, they loved them. They loved the Seekers. Everybody's mum and And I can remember it, them being the first group that I I I appreciated were square if you like, yes. that were straight, that were ostensibly boring and aimed for your parents. But there was still something about those songs that I absolutely love. The carnival is over. They, they, they had their cattle, their whole signature was slightly mournful, wasn't it? Slightly wistful, slightly sorrowful tunes. I'll never find another you. You know, and they had that sort of, a, there was a kind of forced cheeriness on occasions that reminds you of the kind of pastiche films in The Mighty Wind. You know, that kind of, a, yeah, those kind yeah. of folk, everyone, let's put it, folk groups putting on a show. But I thought they were absolutely brilliant. And, and she was so square. Judith Durham looked like the kind of girl who, um, I don't know, did crocheting well, or, she's or made teacher. Victoria she looked, sponges. She looked like, she looked like an, art, an art teacher. An art teacher. Like an art. Yeah, a little bit groovy. And uh, I thought they were fantastic. And um, you and I were, were texting about her yesterday and uh, and we both mentioned the word stirring. They, that was the thing about stirring voice. Stirring sound. I remember Danny Kelly saying this for years. Danny Kelly tweeted yesterday and said, I've always loved Judy Thurum. I thought she was one of the greatest singers ever. And I love I said that long before it was kind of long before anybody talked about guilty pleasures. And he did, to be he fair. He did, Danny. I can remember. I remember yeah, Danny yeah. telling me this 30 years ago. Years ago that he thought she was a fantastic singer. And she is a fantastic, was a fantastic singer. And uh, and and has that quality of, stir, of stir, to being able to stir the soul. And I'll tell you the other singer, uh, sort of kind of near contemporary of hers, who similarly had that. Oh, I wonder if it's the same as mine. How funny. Well, well I'm going, I'll go first. Go on. Ma- Mama Cass. Oh, OK. No, it's Ma- not the same. Well, who's yours? Go on. Mine's Joan Byers. Oh, OK. Joan Byers, but then Joan Byers stirring in a way that it had a certain folk protest element. Yeah, about it did. You know, so I, I don't, didn't, it had yeah. a kind of earnestness about it. Yeah. But no, no, Mama Cass, that's true. Mama Cass didn't. just had that kind of open throated, soulful, but but very very white, really. Um, yeah, you know, it was genuinely moving moving sound of uh, Mama Cass singing, get, getting better and things like that. And Judith Durham, uh, very much the same thing. Um, so, you know, isn't it? And, and when they split up, they, 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 the, the New Seekers was born out of it, wasn't it? Was that well, right? it was Keith, but Keith Potcher so. was the kind of leader of the Seekers. I think he's the guy who put it together. And, and then, because they came from Australia, didn't they? And then yeah. they, kind of sort of, they, they must have had some success in Australia, but obviously made it really big here. Um, and uh, then when Keith Potcher decided to kind of knock it on the head, he started the New Seekers. And the New Seekers were a kind of um, 
slightly sexier, slightly younger, you know, uh, glitzier, a bit more glam. Yeah, yeah. Version of uh, of the Seekers, weren't they? With no no folk roots whatsoever. They were. I'd like to teach teach the world to sing, wouldn't they? Absolutely. That 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 was their thing. But you know, they, but still was... pretty stained, still very middle of the road. No, the Seekers made uh, made you know Peter Paul and Mary look like real ravers. They <laughs> they were they were they were terribly kind of formal and uh, yeah yeah and, uh, old fashioned and really attractive. I thought they were fantastic. You're listening to the Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. So, any other business, Alex Gold? There he is. Um, hi, hi there. Hi there. Hey-ho. We have we a new are... strand, don't we, Magic, that we're going to uh, be advancing soon? We do. We, we have uh, an exciting new in-person element that we'll be adding to our existing array of, of frankly, marvellous Patreon benefits. Let's, uh, run through the, let's run through these Patreon benefits one more time, shall we, Alex? Let's remind people. Okay, so first of all, there is the quiz tier, whereby um, for a nominal sum per month, you get to take part in our legendary weekly quiz, which we've done every single Friday since 2020. Since time began. Uh, yes. Since time began. Um, and then there is done the podcast hundreds tier. Of them. And can I just say, uh, they're really good. The quizzes are, are really entertaining. We get fantastic gang turn up every Friday night. We have a lot of fun. They're brilliant. And quite challenging. Yeah. Then we have the podcast here, uh, which grants you access to the quiz and also gets you this very podcast early before the rest of the world gets it, which is um, definitely a good thing. And then uh, if, if that wasn't enough already, um, there's the classic podcast here, which gets you all that plus this very podcast early with full visuals. The full multi-sensory experience, which can um, <laughs> blow your mind week after week. Um, and a classic podcast whereby we, we dig through um, the archives, tracing back 14 years, I think. It is. Um, to, to revisit the best, what we think are the best podcasts of that time, uh, with, a, with a current spin on them. And then... There is the birthday tier, which is kind of the creme de la creme of now the tier we're world. Talking. Now Top we're of the talking. heap. Oh, yeah. Now, this tier gets you a special birthday visit digitally from Mark and Dave, who will delightedly rummage through your record collections um, in your very own video cast. It's very uh, good fun. You simply find all the old records and bits of ephemera that you've collected, and we do it on Zoom, like the word neurotic things. It has to be it. said, to be fair, we enjoy it, don't we? Mark? Oh, we love doing it. We do. <laughs> We've met some really brilliant. interesting people, yeah. and we're always inspired to go off and listen to records that they recommend, and people have such extraordinary things. We talked to someone not long ago who suddenly produced the actual military hat worn by Loudon Wainwright. Yes. Uh, on one of his album covers. And for some reason he finished up owning this thing, produced we, it. Just incredible. We, cele we celebrated the birthday of an actual rocking vicar, haven't we? We have. You yes, know, yes, we and, have. Uh, we've we've learnt all kinds of things, you know. We do a further thing, which is if you're a Patreon supporter and you happen to be involved in a kind of commercial endeavour which has some consumer product at the end of it, if you send that consumer product to us, 
particularly if it's something that we can consume on the air. We will consume <laughs> Which it on the air. we did last week with some very attractive ale. Very attractive ale from uh, from the the Ink Spot um, uh, uh, beer joint in Newbiggin in uh, up in the northeast. And, uh, and so, you know, if that happens to apply to you, that's even more reason why you ought to be a Patreon supporter. And so as Alex was about to add, we're, go, we're, re- we're introducing a new uh, physical space live meetup element, aren't we, in the, in the near we future? Are we are. So further Around details. Christmas time. Further details of that will be winging their way to you. So if you want to know how you can get involved in any of those things, the place to look at is patreon.com slash word in your ear. Repeat after me, patreon.com slash word, word in, in your, your ear. ear. Do it right now. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.